OCR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. You are listening to Wednesday Breakfast. It is the 6th of November and we would like to open the show by acknowledging that we broadcast from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. And we acknowledge their continued resilience as First Nation peoples in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We recognise sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty has never been signed. Current efforts to establish treaties are diminished by the Victorian state government's decision to disregard First Nations sovereignty. And with that, we'll kind of get into the show. Good morning, guys. How, how's our week been? Mm, Wednesday, good. the 6th of November. Party times. <laughs> Party times. <laughs> um, officially, there are still... Holo- wait, no. Unofficially, mm. there are still Halloween parties happening, although oh. Halloween has long since passed. <laughs> Uh, do you ha- do you have qualms about this? Is this no, a major issue? No, or? in fact, I have a Halloween party happening, not this weekend, next weekend, on the sixteenth, and I kind of like that because it's <laughs> all like it's like completely meaningless. <laughs> Literally, we're just having a we're having a costume party. They don't even sell Halloween decorations anymore. We're gonna have Christmas <laughs> decorations at this party. It's gonna be amazing. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. It's going to be the scariest Halloween party of all, just from the fact yeah. that it's kind of mm. so, um, like, clagged, pa- cut and paste together mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> with mm-hmm. as many different influences or party themes as possible to try and mimic something like Halloween. Yeah, yeah, we don't have the, we don't have the, the, the cultural foundation that mm. Halloween is built upon, so yes. we're just kind of like, oh, what did they do on the OC <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> like sort of vaguely Halloween-y looking things that we can bring into our home. So mm. I kind of, I like it because we can make it up for ourselves, like. Yeah. So yeah. Redefine you. <laughs> I brought up Halloween this year with my family. I was like, today's Halloween. And I don't like Halloween, so I'm a bit of, I'm a bit lame oh. like that, but neither does my family. So I'm just like, is Halloween today? And I just got blank stares and my family was like, why would you bring that up? I was like, ooh. <laughs> like it's some sort of dark family secret yeah. and you've raised it again. There was like some weird tension there. Mom's just right. like, no. And it oh, was wow. the first year I participated, but not hey. at a party, oh. as, as like one of the people in the neighborhood that puts decorations up. Nice. So oh. I bought some like crappy plastic things yeah, to put yeah. out the front of my house to um, signal that we had lollies inside. <laughs> Only because we knew, like me and my yeah. housemate knew that the neighborhood would just be filled with children because it's pretty oh. suburban. Yeah. Yep. And it was so cute, all these little kids coming and knocking oh. on the door and they always try and grab like a handful of lollies and you have to be really firm and say no, just one because otherwise they'll disappear in like two seconds. Mm. I love that like, no, just one. <laughs> <laughs> just eyeballing like a seven-year-old oh, in the eyes. How, really how do you stock for one of those? Like as in mm. what lollies do you buy? Because I know that like... I don't know, people have eating requirements, you need to make sure things mm. don't have gelatin in That's them. And yeah. Like, if it's got gluten in it somehow, like wow, a lot of kids will just... I hope I didn't make anyone sick, because no? we really didn't have well, options. T- to be fair, <laughs> if they're taking them, they're consciously taking them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Zappos. Well, stomach Zappos. ailments make for a spooky Halloween. <laughs> On the toilet for five hours. <laughs> terrible. Uh, we had the lamest Halloween one year because, again, family forgot about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we had someone show up, and they were heartbroken to find out that because we, we were just like, oh, mm. oh, this this is a thing. So we gave them an apple, 
My dad gave them an unopened toothbrush because he was like, <laughs> we have spare toothbrushes <laughs> and like a bar of dark chocolate because we only stock dark chocolate. That is amazing. <laughs> great. I love that. And the, yeah, well, the kid was just looking at us like, uh, what? This they should be grateful. You're looking is, after them. Yeah, this is so confused. So yeah. funny. But, um, yeah, yeah so you're giving them health, the I'm apple, you're looking health. after their teeth with a toothbrush, mm-hmm. and you're giving them culture, because dark chocolate is, like, more posh or it's something. It's delicious. Mm. Yeah. I love it, yeah. Mm. Anyway. And healthy habits. Healthy habits. Afterwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was kind of, yeah. Mm. Yeah, but now we're moving into November, so mm. away from October and into mm-hmm. fires and heat and, Oof. and just... Well, Although it's been cold. It has. Yeah, yeah, and we don't. The listener doesn't need to know um, mm. that we think it's cold because they know it's cold. Yeah, it's been cold. It's been cold. We will follow up with weather at some point. Yeah. But right now we're going to run through kind of what's happening today on the yes. show. So we're starting off with Will. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're not starting off with me. I'm interviewing someone <laughs> called Ed, um, who's going to be talking to us about the Peel Street Festival, mm. um, that's happening this weekend. Um, and it sounds like it's going to be like the Sydney Road Street Party. But like more community based and less like a big commercial venture. Yeah. And I'm really excited. Mm. Um, it sounds really fun. I'm looking forward to going in the evening because it runs until 8 p.m., which is so cool for a public community yeah. street festival. It actually okay. runs after that at like, um, the Grace Darling Hotel and a couple of other places mm. like that. So, um, Ed will be telling us all about that. And, um, yeah. That's, that's kind of cool. Peel, mm-hmm. I did think potato peel. Peel Street. Uh, peel Street's a big, Thing? It's literally just across the road from us. Oh, it's shoot. across the road, up Sydney Road. Yep. Uh, sorry, Smith Street. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, it's it's a five less than a five minute walk from Neat. our studios on Three th- CR Community Radio. So, um, I think it would be cool for everyone to go. But let's let's talk about that with Ed soon. Yeah, sure, sounds good. Then at seven thirty, we have Jamaica Zwanetti, who is the playwright of Psy Gaps which is an original play on now at La Mama. So she's going to have a chat to us about her show. Hmm? That sounds kind of funk. At yeah. 7.45, we're coming in with um, the Alliance for Journalists' Freedoms. Uh, we'll be speaking to Peter, who is one of the journalists in this alliance, um, and we'll be talking to him about a Media Freedoms Act, which is obviously becoming more and more relevant as uh, journalistic freedoms get more and more eroded in this country. So that'll be 7.45. And then at 8 o'clock, we've got um, a representative coming on from Frontline Action Against Coal up in Queensland. They've just passed, the Queensland government's just passed some very controversial protest laws uh, called lock-on laws. And so we're going to be getting Andy from FLAC to kind of come on, tell us a little bit more about what this is going to mean. He's actually quite positive. Just little spoiler, he's quite positive in saying, well, civil disobedience is going to continue, so this is just another part of the um, fight for climate justice. But mm. yeah, we'll hear more at eight. Fantastic. And we'll round out the show um, either with another interview, we're still confirming, or we'll be um, at some point during the show anyway, talking about MALS, um, the Melbourne Activist Legal Service. Uh, it'll be great to hear a bit more about this organisation that you may have been hearing mm. quite often, giving statements on... Um, uh, police violence at the recent IMARC blockade, um, the blockade of the International Mining and Resources Conference, um, and other things like that. You, you see them in their pink vests at all of the all of the protests and all of the um, the actions happening around Melbourne. So we'll find out a bit more about them, and that'll be great to to hear. So oh, yeah, awesome. Well, we'll get on to alternative news. Some folks know about it, some don't. Some will learn to shout it, some won't. But sooner or
I'd like to talk about ExxonMobil, who went on trial around two weeks ago in a courtroom in New York, where the oil giant is accused of misleading investors about the risks of climate change. It's alleged that Exxon fraudulently used two sets of books to estimate the risks it faces as governments take steps to cut greenhouse gas emissions. One book was shared with investors and the other book was kept secret from investors and only used internally. From what I understand, the books contained figures linked to financial risks involved in climate change and global environmental regulation. Environmental regulation. The trial is a result of four years of investigation by the New York State Attorney General's office. Lawyers for the Attorney General have argued that ExxonMobil has exposed investors to risks by providing them with specific data, seeking to hide tens of billions of dollars in potential future costs. Exxon's lead attorney uh, argued that the company uses uh, the two sets of figures for different reasons and that New York is mixing them to show inconsistency where there is none. The New York Supreme Court judge will look at how things look to the shareholders rather than what Exxon intended to decide the case. Um, And at the same time of this court case, in Washington, D.C., a subcommittee into the oil industry's efforts to suppress climate change is taking place. Two former scientists of ExxonMobil have given accounts to the committee about the work they did for the oil giant around 40 years ago. Geochemist Ed Garvey described how Exxon shut down the climate di- the carbon dioxide research program he worked on for the company between 1978 and 1983, turning its back uh, on the research he did, which predicted warming temperatures as a result of burning fossil fuels. The committee heard after Exxon deepened its understanding of how uh, its business could be harmed by global warming, it put its muscle behind efforts to manufacture doubt about it. Uh, science historian and author of the book Merchants of Doubts, Naomi Oreskes, also gave evidence at the committee, saying that they didn't just pollute the air, they also polluted the information landscape. Um, I learn about all this on Inside Climate News, which is a non-for-profit American publication, which has won awards for its 2015 investigation into ExxonMobil. There's no paywall, so anyone can go and read about the, um, their investigation into the oil giant. And um, I thought this is really interesting, this situation, because I think there's going to be a lot more um, cases of climate change litigation in courts. I'm sure there's heaps in Australia, which is my new challenge to get my head around what they are. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was, I was just thinking, we were discussing before the show, there's been a lot of, 3 cr has been covering a lot of protesters who have been facing um, kind of legal action taken against them for obviously demonstrations. But it'll be really interesting, yeah, to find out kind of what's happening around industry and non-for-profits and all those sorts of different Yeah, groups. well, apparently there's, like, different waves, and we're now in the second wave and probably will head into the third wave where people who feel like they've lost money, where, ah. where it's more to do with business, and if shareholders and investors right. feel like they've lost money because of what oil companies have done or said, um, then they'll be suing for financial um, and that's, redress. That's actually something also coming up in the news is the fact that um, we've been moving towards pressuring uh, companies that are associated, for example, with um, environmental criminals like Adani. <laughs> we've been targeting smaller level companies as a method of kind of trying to dissuade or you know get them to not work with Adani as a way of protest. And um, the government's also introducing legislation around that to remove mm. that ability. That's going to be reading about that. That's yeah. going to be quite. Interesting to follow. The boycotts, yeah. The boycotts, yeah, because that, that's been actually a massive um, and very su- 
successful movement thus far. Mm. So that's another clampdown on kind of, I don't know, I, I feel like that will feed into your narrative. Yeah, and definitely. Be, I should look more into that, That's actually. something that we'll be seeing coming in the, in, in the coming weeks. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of our alternative news wrapped up. Is that right, Lois? Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm. Um, but yeah, more to come. Maybe I'll come back at you next week with Australian climate change litigation cases. Sounds fantastic. We're going to cut to a few um, CSAs, so that's community service announcements, and we'll be back. <laughs> We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts, and so do we. They're 100% cotton and Australian-made, and you can get one for just $30. They come in black, dark grey, and a cool light grey. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street, or order by phoning 94198377, or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. You're ready to receive it. 
Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. And you're listening to 3CR coming up to 717. The song, there was a song in between there. It was by Kate Tempest. It was called The Beigeness. And we're going now into our first interview. That's right. Uh, so uh, do you like live music and food and, you know, street fun? Um, you don't? Oh, what's wrong with you? Why, <laughs> why, why don't you like that? <laughs> no, no, no. Of course you do. Um, and we're looking forward to uh, a, a whole day of that. Coming up this weekend, um, the Peel Street Festival is happening, and that's just over here in Collingwood, just across from 3CR. And um, to talk a bit more about that, we're going to be speaking to Ed from the Peel Street Festival. Good morning, Ed. Hello, good morning. Thanks for joining us on 3CR. I'm so excited to talk about the festival. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what we can expect? Like, what's the point of this festival? What is it? Uh, well, the point of Peel Street Festival is basically it's a day to take over the streets and give the streets back to the people and to bring out the what we call the fruits of the City of Yarra's creative community for everyone to see for free. Um, yeah, basically we want a chance to get the cars off the street and get the people on the street and celebrate music. Um, and I guess we've gone to lengths to involve the broader kind of Collingwood and Yarra community in trying to get representation from all over the place so mm. we've got a big stacked lineup we're going to pop a stage on the street there'll be food um and nice. basically from yeah. 12 to 8 o'clock mm-hmm. music and fun on the street beautiful and that's happening this saturday we'll remind people of the the time and date yeah. in a moment um but a, a big part of this festival is recognizing that a, a huge cornerstone of the community in in fitzroy and in collingwood is the first nations community um, can you tell a bit more about how that's reflected in, for example, the music that's going to be happening on the day? Yeah, I mean, every year um, with Peel Street Festival, we've obviously um, realised it's our responsibility to acknowledge the First Nations community in Collingwood, and it's also not difficult to do that with the line with so many great First Nations artists around locally and in the country. Um, the first year, I think, we had Archie Roach came down and played, and second year, we had Coloured Stone, and... Um, the third year, we've actually involved Neil Morris from Dreaming Now has been closely involved in the lineup committee and in the planning committee of Peel Street Festival. Um, so his act, uh, Dreaming Now, are performing. We've also got the Marindas, which is another amazing First Nations act, and um, DJ Kyans, um, all representing First Nations as well as other First Nations artists across the lineup. We're going for mm. you um, also have- high level. Um, non-Indigenous Sorry. artists coming, like um, Sui Jen as well, and um, some schools as well performing, is that right? Yeah, um, so we network closely. We talk to groups like Neighbourhood House, which obviously works in the um, public housing estates in the area. Um, there's, what, three, four schools represented, each with a little act each, and it's really beautiful. One of the key 
one of the key things we did at the first festival, which we just really loved so much, was having acts like Girlzone, which is amazing. Like I think they're 14 now, but at the time they were 12-year-old um, rappers from a variety of different migrant backgrounds on stage just before a legend like Archie Roach. And putting those types of people together was just an amazing reflection of what Australia is and what Yarra is and what music and art is to bring people together, I think. Um, so, yeah, we're doing that again this year. And if you look at the poster lineup, which is obviously online, you'll see there's a, a great diversity of age, style of music and like where the people are coming from. Mm. And a big part of um, accessibility is um, that, of course, the city of Yarra encompasses a lot of different people of different socioeconomic backgrounds. Can you talk a bit about... Uh, about how the Peel Street Festival has taken this into heart? Yeah, I mean, so we're trying to do that from going from working with, um, like, yes, Neighbourhood House, Neighbourhood House Choir, and artists that come from the public housing estates, but take that all the way through to the festival being free, never cost anything, um, and it's on an open, accessible street. So that's kind of the ways we try and address it. We've also got non-for-profit food stalls like um, Charcoal Lane and... Um, yeah, those are the kind of ways we try and talk to that. Mm. Um, and also, just make a quick point that um, there are licensed areas, so it's not an alcohol-free event, but most of the um, event is not licensed, so that's that's something. And also that you have yes. accessible toilets, which is worth mentioning to our listeners as well. Um, so yeah, can we talk? Yep. Yeah, sorry, can we talk a bit more about the um, the the other offerings? So you've got music and things like that happening. What else can we expect? Music, there'll be food from all around the place, and uh, well, mostly local traders that we've um, asked to come jo- come down and cook some food for the day. Uh, there'll be a kids park, and the Peel Street Park is, um, you know, council has recently done it up a bit, laid down some new grass, so a nice and soft place to chill out, and for kids, there'll be like free face painting for the kids and a few other activities for them to do, um, and a few other arty type activities happening in the park as well. So it's a great day to kind of just hang out in the park if you just want to stop by and watch a few acts, particularly the first half of the day is especially good for um, families and kids from 12 to about 6. There's lots of kids on the stage, so um, for kids who maybe one day want to grow up to be musicians, there's nothing better than being inspired by other kids up on stage, and there's some really great acts. So. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, and can you tell us about, um, so the, the festival runs quite late. It's up until eight o'clock that, um, the festivities will continue on Peel Street itself. Um, and yeah. then what's happening after? Yeah, so it should be clear that the, the festivities on the street are from 12 to 8, and that's got big, open, free, unlicensed areas and some licensed areas that are just attached to the bars that are already on Peel Street. Um, we're not running any bars ourselves. Um, after the, after eight o'clock, the two venues on the street uh, Laser Pig and the Grace Darling Hotel uh, having their own after parties. Um, so, yeah, they will be licensed in 18 plus only from 8 o'clock to 1 o'clock. And uh, the Grace Darling is going to have a full party from the top four in the kitchen into the basement takeover with some amazing artists controlling each of those spaces and curating those spaces for people who want to kick on. Fantastic. So um sounds like a, a party that could go on foreseeably from 12 o'clock from about lunchtime all the way through to 1 o'clock in the next day. Um, yes, so we're talking about the Peel Street Festival. Um, so, Ed, can you remind us when this is happening? This Saturday. This Saturday. Very soon. We're all very excited, and it's just at the top end of Peel Street on Collingwood. 
Um, just off Smith Street, right where the Grace Stallion Hotel meets Smith Street. Just wander down and you can't miss it. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Ed. We've been talking about the, the Peel Street Festival once more, happening this Saturday from midday until uh, until 8 o'clock on the streets, and then it continues in Grace Darling Hotel and Laser Pig until 1 a.m. Uh, Ed, thank you for joining us on 3CR. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. And with that, uh, celebrating what sounds like a fabulous royal celebration, um, we shall play Regal by No Name. Mm. <laughs> I swear I look so regal, I swear I look so regal Made my wrong turn right, made my fist turn heaven May the Lord be with me, made me look like reverend Made me look like regal, Southside abandoned I swear I look so regal, I swear I look so regal Oh my baby got to know me, I'm looking like I'm the homie I'm tired from head to shoulder, I'm colder when he don't hold me I'm warmer inside the casket, basket atop my head Africa's never dead, Africa's always dying No more apples and oranges, only pickles and pacifists Twitter from martyrdom, unified as capitalists. Give them death, be gone. Give them Teflon, die. Give them rights around the politics to bear my arms and watch the bears come out. are selling kafir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours.
know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're 100% cotton and Australian made and you can get one for just $30. They come in black, dark grey and a cool light grey. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. QR Code is an LGBTIQA plus health podcast made by queers. Across eight episodes, hear us engaging with our communities, discussing diverse and intersecting topics. On In Your Face on the last Friday of every month. Or download from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR Code. And follow us on Facebook at QR Code 3CR. Funded by the City of Yarra. So next up, we're going to be speaking to um, Jamaica Zwanetti, who is the playwright of a new original play called Thigh Gap, which is an absurd dark comedy that explores from a female perspective the commodification of female bodies in a capitalist patriarchy. It does all this with just two women in one apartment where they're surrounded by lipstick ads, wellness trends and dating apps. Uh, the play was shortlisted this year for London's Platform Presents Playwrights Prize, and it's currently running at La Mama Courthouse until this Sunday. So we have Jamaica here to talk to us about the show. Good morning, Jamaica. Morning. Thanks for coming on 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. Oh, it's exciting to talk to you. Thank you. Um, so first up, I'd just like to know a little bit about your play and what kinds of things the two women get up to in their apartment. Um, so I guess the play is very much obviously set in an apartment, so it's very much around the domestic setting. So I'm kind of um, focusing on things that people don't normally see and um, kind of behaviours that are, I guess, behind closed doors. And that's what really interested me because these kind of daily practices and in interactions between the two women kind of revealed a bit more about the greater social structures um, and what was happening to them in their outside lives. So um, I was really fascinated by, when I was writing the play, um, what sort of conversations came up in this yeah, domestic setting um, and insecurities and sense of shame and things that you kind of reveal in private and might share with someone you, you kind of have a close bond with um, that you've been living with, even though these two women just meet at the beginning of the play. Their, their relationship kind of develops okay. as um, housemates and friends. Right, so they're housemates. Um, aside from being housemates, what are the characters like and, and who are the actors that bring them to life? So um, two wonderful actors, uh, Lauren Mass and Veronica Thomas, um, play Gemma and Iris. Um, and they both kind of have really opposing views of the world. Um, uh, Gemma's really career-focused, um, an architect. She's driven. She has everything planned. She knows how her life will go, and she kind of has a sense of the steps that she needs to take. And I, I guess I was feeding off a lot of um, this, this kind of empowerment culture that's coming through, which is with wonderful women for women, but also maybe a bit suffocating as well in terms of not only now you know, can you, um, you know, try and achieve, like, the best in terms of, like, career, but you can do it, you, uh, I guess it's this way of, like, even putting more on women's plates, you know, you can reach up, your, or you must reach up to these best expectations in your career as well as looking wonderful and, and mm -hmm. what that pressure might do 
do to women, um, and Iris is an artist and, and a bit more um, cynical in her view of the world. Um, but I guess these two competing ideas end up uh, don't really kind of help the women in navigating or, or steering away from these societal expectations. They both kind of succumb to them in, in this in this play, which is is obviously an absurd um, version of the world, but also very much. Um, influenced by how um, how invasive these these kind of expectations are and how insidious they can be and how you don't even realise you're following these rules um, and falling into these traps. Um, it's, yeah. Right, interesting. And um, what other people have, have put the um, production together with you? Um, so it's directed by Alice Darling. He's a wonderful um, director. Um, so we've been in talks from the beginning of of this year um, and a really, really wonderful design team and I've uh, also been working with um, Kizzy Warner who's also a playwright herself but she's helped me dramaturge the play over the last few years so um, it's sort of been in development for a while um, which is usually the way with, with plays and then also juggling multiple jobs so it always mm-hmm. takes a little while but there's sort of a plethora of people who have been involved in creating um, the piece and the final product Right. Um, yeah. Um, sounds like it's been a, a great collaboration. So um, I just want to backtrack and ask you how you came about the idea. Was it a light bulb moment where you knew how it would become from start to finish, or did the story develop over hours of writing and nutting it out? Um, yeah, it was. I think I had like a vague idea of what I wanted to do. I really um, set myself parameters with this play. Um, I knew that I wanted it to just be two female um, characters in the one setting, um, and that I really wanted to that they couldn't leave. That I wanted to focus on what happens in this room, and that you kind of find out what's happening to, to them from from the apartment um, of what's happening from the outside, I guess, um, and. I guess I didn't. I'm not. I'm not a playwright to write a, a beginning, middle, end, or set out a plot for myself. So it, it was sort of a process of kind of finding out what was happening as I was going. And um, I guess, like I was saying before, that these kind of issues of of shame um, and um, I guess um, discomfort kept coming up in the, the dialogue. So I found that really interesting and decided to highlight that and kind of play with these ideas of like the different things women will kind of engage in to make themselves feel better and that I guess this capitalist society sells to women um, as, as sort of a, a way to to better yourself and upgrade yourself and um, kind of solve this lie that you, you can constantly better yourself but in the end the the sky is the limit like you can you'll never reach this ideal perfection um so it, yeah it was a bit of a, a process in kind of finding out the structure i'm i'm not a kind of three-act structure playwright so um the the structure is kind of a slippery one that kind mm-hmm. of flips and slides and descends into the absurd great and um the title itself is is pretty playful for our listeners who don't know what a thigh gap is um can you describe what what it is and why you chose that as the title yeah i guess I, i'm guessing it came up more so um in the 90s with the with when there was a huge um wave of um really thin models in there, i guess with kate moss um and this idea or idea of the heroine sheet kind of very very thin 
model is at its peak. Um, and so basically thigh gap is that, that space between your, your thighs, um, which is, you know, it, it's pretty much, it can be, you know, genetically impossible for a lot of women and a possibility for some women, but it's, um, not, not a common, um, sort of, uh, trait, I guess. <laughs> and, and I feel like it was kind of set as this, you know, uh, goal for women in terms of, um, the ideal look and shape. And it's a, it's a kind of a play on that, that it's never going to be achievable. Um, like I was saying, these, these expectations that are placed on women are, are impossible and they'll keep changing and shifting, um, just to encourage women to buy more and feel less um, happy with themselves, I guess, with all this idea that we're not good enough from the beginning. Um, so I guess it was kind of taking that idea of being possible um, and, and stretching that a lot throughout the play. Um, and, um, yeah, it's a, it is quite a playful, fun title and it gets people's attention. So Yeah, it definitely <laughs> grabbed my attention. Um, and I have another question for you. Without spoiling everything that's in the play, can you describe your favourite scene? Oh, okay. Oh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple. Um, there's a great um, dance break. Um, I do love putting dance breaks in in my um, plays, so mm-hmm. that's quite a peak moment. Um, there's also a wonderful um, drunk moment. So they would have to be kind of my favourites. I mean, for comic comic um, relief as well. I mean, the whole play is quite funny, but it is also quite dark. Um, so, but the lightness they are a lot of fun (laughs) great and lastly where can people see this show so it's playing at la mama courthouse um until this sunday which is in carlton um yeah great and i imagine tickets can be bought at the door and online yes yes on um, la mama's website which i've forgotten off the top of my head (laughs) um but uh yes it's uh if you go to la mama's website um, you can grab tickets there under Thigh Gap. Um, they are on sale um, definitely till Sunday. Great. Well, thanks so much, Jamaica, for coming on 3CR this morning to chat to us about Thigh Gap, a new and original dark comedy exploring women's bodies and the search for perfection. The show runs at La Mama until uh, this Sunday, the 10th of November. Thanks. Thank you so much. See you later. And just for listeners interested in looking up La Mama, it's literally L-A-M-A-M-A dot com dot A-U. We're going to throw to a song now. This is Sample the Great, Freedom. Hi,
Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate, and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counseling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between queer space Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR supporter.
Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 039419 You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make and sure I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things like And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here I'd like to say thank you for all for coming um, Helping, giving us a chance to do this It's really good, you know It's been going for a while now Hopefully it goes, it keeps going You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this And um, get our voice out there as prisoners We can't blame everything on the external So let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor Because real power comes from here And it comes from family if you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03-9419-8377. Looking to connect with your local community and do something rewarding? Well, volunteering to lead a neighbourly ride could be exactly what you're after. The short 40-minute group rides are for all ages and ride levels. Help people build their confidence, feel supported while safely exploring the local areas of Brunswick, Carlton, Fitzroy and Northcote by bike. Volunteers receive free ride leader training, so go to neighbourlyride.com to contact us about volunteering. A 3CR supporter. Fagan Band and Friends presents Earth Show, a rock and classical journey across our living planet. It's a music and visual spectacular celebrating the one planet that we inhabit. Saturday the 9th of November at the Deacon Edge Federation Square. Concert starts at 8pm and an environment symposium, Our Shared Home, is on from 5pm. There's a 40% discount for 3CR subscribers, making your all-inclusive tickets just $33 for adults, $30 concession and $24 for students. Plus booking fee and don't forget to book in with the 3CR subscriber code 3CR20. Go to www.matthew-fagan.com. 
3CR supporter. Harding here, and I want to invite you to the 2019 Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday the 14th of November, upstairs at Mesa on Gertrude Street in Fitzroy. This is the message that we send to the black, yellow and red. I'm an Aborigine and I do always represent. There'll be a panel discussion on justice, Indigenous incarceration and the power of radio, along with music, food and of course free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday the 14th of November, Upstairs at Mesa, 6.30 to 8.30. See you there. Music uplifted me, took away the pain and stress. I no longer have a barricaded chest. Projects and Lamama present The Audition, a multi-authored work interrogating the protocols and power relationships of the audition process to uncover what it means to seek asylum. Director Irini Vela has assembled an exceptional team of award-winning writers, including Christos Tsiolkas, Melissa Reeves, Patricia Cornelius, Tess Lisiotis and Wahibi Musa, with Iranian associate artists Sarah Davudi and Milad Noruzi, performing alongside Mary Sitarinos, Peter Paltos, and musician Vahidi Essari. The audition, 13th to the 24th of November, bookings at lamama.com.au. Outer Urban Projects, a 3CR supporter. And you're listening to 3CR. Now we're jumping into our next interview, which is around uh, press freedom. So in a recent article in The Conversation, it was highlighted that Australia is reaching a climax in its press freedoms. Um, from the newsroom raids earlier this year to a ban on onshore reporting and ongoing prosecution of whistleblowers. Um, freedom of press in this country is slowly being eroded, and the media's kind of counter-campaign, Your Right to Know, which came out about two weeks ago, brings across this question, if we can see our rights dissolving, what can we really do about it? So we have Peter from the Alliance of Journalist Freedoms, uh, sorry, for Freedom, to discuss our current media landscape and what a Media Freedoms Act would do to change it. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, and thanks for the introduction. <laughs> no problem. Um, could you kind of, first off kind of let us know, what is the purpose of Media Freedoms Act? Well, as you said in your introduction, the raids, the AFP raids earlier this year really, set, really demonstrated that uh, journalists' rights are vulnerable in Australia at the moment. Mm-hmm. In the last couple of years, there's been a lot of legislation to strengthen security in Australia, which is terribly important. But unfortunately, one of the prices that have been paid is journalist freedom. 
Mm. And it's not the issue isn't really about journalist freedom per se. The issue is about the public's right to know. The public needs to know what's going on so that they can do what they need to do in a democracy. They, the public has a duty, a, a right, and, and, and then a duty to vote. And so they need to know what they're voting for. And journalism is a, a pipe of information, if you like, between mm. people in power, businesses and politicians, and themselves. Absolutely. So um, the... Con- Oh, sorry. The, the, con- the consequence of the, all this legislation that was is tightening security is that we need a counterbalancing piece of legislation to ensure that the public can get access to information. Right, and that's where the Media Freedoms Act would come in. Could you kind of give us a little bit of background of where the Alliance for Journalist Freedoms fit into this, con- this conversation? All right. Well, I think most of your audience will know um, Peter Grester. Peter Grester, who was jailed in Cairo for 400 days back in 2013. And uh, I, I was asked by his family to help get him out of jail, as was, an, as was a lawyer from a, um, a tier one legal firm based in Sydney called Gilbert and Tobin. And the three of us got together after that, after, after Peter came back to Australia, because we saw the need, we saw the increasing pressure on journalist freedom um, around the world, but also in Australia. And so we set up the Alliance for Journalist Freedom to do two things. One was to work with government to uh, ensure that legislation supports the public's right to know. And the second was to campaign, if necessary, in the Asia-Pacific to get people out of jail, as Peter was in Egypt. Right. And it's kind and of... We, well, we, ca- we came up with... The, we, we initiated the idea of the Media Freedom Act last year mm-hmm. because, and this, this just by coincidence, we came up with the need for a Media Freedom Act well before the AFP raid. Yeah. We saw the need because of the pieces of legislation that have been passed earlier that um, paved the way for the potential for things like the, the raids that occurred. Absolutely. And I, I suppose that's kind of the thing that I, I get from this growing um, shutdown on press freedoms is we can see it coming. And, I mean, as you said, these laws have been introduced. Um, our ministry and the, P, the prime minister are quite explicit when they're saying that we don't want to get a lot of, you know, expression out, that we don't really want a lot of information in the public domain. Um, I guess with looking at a Media Freedoms Act, how do you think it would function in Australia? What, what would kind of be its protections that it would enshrine? Well, two things. Mm-hmm. One is that it uh, will filter through all legislation and act as a barrier to legislators. Mm-hmm. The second is it provides a brick wall, if you like, um, for judges when they are making decisions, when they are are making judgments on cases that concern the public's right to know. You know, this isn't about giving journalists special treatment. Journalists don't deserve any more treatment than than anybody else in, in society, from dairy farmers to to truck drivers, to politicians for that matter. Mm. 
what what it is designed to do, what what and what we're campaigning for is to ensure that everybody has access to information. You can't, as Don Ship used to say way back, you can't keep the bastards honest mm. if you can't make them accountable to the public, and you can only make them accountable if they if the public has access to what's happening. Absolutely, and within this this. Um, within this article I was reading before this, uh, before this interview, it outlined that a media act could kind of serve three roles in society. Um, the first off was the recognition and appreciation of valuing press freedoms. Uh, secondly, acting almost as a catalyst to building a culture of disclosure within Australia, so getting that right to know kind of more enshrined. And lastly, to create protection of, for journos on the job. Um, touching on the second, using a media act, as a media act as a combatant to this culture of secrecy we've built up, could we kind of get your thoughts on this? Do you, do you think a media act would help raise the profile of journalistic freedoms within the general population, I suppose? Yes, and there's a really good example of that. So I was a journalist for 30 years, um, and 12 of that was on 60 Minutes, where I was travelling a lot, not as a reporter but as a producer. Mm-hmm. And most of my overseas travel was spent in the United States. And looking back, what I saw were two things. One was uh, because of the First Amendment, and one of the one of the five pillars in the First Amendment is um, uh, free speech. Another one is a free press. Another one for those who are unfamiliar is the right to demonstrate. Another one is freedom of religion, and another one is the right to petition your politicians. Right. And we've got a number of those, as you know, but we're at, missing a couple of them. What I noticed in the United States is that journalists really understand their role in society. There's a tendency for, in Australia for journalists to love the hunt rather than to love their role in a democracy. Mm. The second thing, which is more subtle, is that businesses... A businessman and politician or business people and politicians in the United States also understand the First, First Amendment and the Constitution and their role in delivering information. So they also understand that journalists have a responsibility and they have a responsibility to communicate to the public. So, so there's a huge culture difference in the United States compared to Australia. Right. So we really have built up this 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 culture where, because it, what what it got with me is like we know that journalistic freedoms are being eroded, but the general population doesn't seem to as 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 we've mentioned seem, doesn't seem to care. There seems to be a wide apathy and kind of this um, sycophantic kind of oh well the politicians must know best sort of thing. I'm wondering how do we challenge that? How do we bring a media freedoms act to the forefront and really push its necessity? I don't think the public is empathetic about no? this. Okay. I think we saw it with the AFP raids. Mm-hmm. If you if you say to if you say to somebody, what do you think of journalists? Are they going to say, oh, they make a lot of mistakes, bunch of ratbags, bit careless, that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. But if you say, do you think the 7:30 report on the exposing the cruelty of racehorses mm. is important, or do you think uh, making public sexting scandals among sports people or, or um, drug abuse amongst athletes is important and needs exposing. The public say, absolutely. If you say, 
should the dairy industry and the plight of the dairy industry be exposed or political corruption be exposed? Absolutely. So people get the importance of it. And I I think people... It's not it's not apathy. I think people just want to get on with their lives. They've got kids to educate. They've got mortgages to pay off. They've got to get to work on time. Those are the things that are important to people, and they just want this stuff to happen without having to worry about it themselves. Absolutely. Okay. I think Will's about to jump in with a quick question. Oh, I'll just tell you. Uh, hi there, Peter. This is Will. Um, so I'm just wondering about the um, the media freedoms bill. Um, you, you made a point about the um, the in, in the US how they have an enshrined legal right to freedom of speech, but in Australia we don't, at least um, not explicitly. And so, do you think there's space for journalists to engage in a conversation around a human rights charter in Australia and how how a, a general freedom of speech would be important for a healthy media ecosystem? Absolutely. Uh, 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 um, yes, will absolutely. But the difficulty of enshrining everything now um, in, a, in a society where there's a lot of debate and sort of entrenched division is that you, to parcel religious freedom, freedom of speech, uh, press freedom and other democratic rights mm. into some kind of charter, into some kind of constitutional amendment is really complex. So I think an easier way to go is to get up the Religious Freedom Act to enshrine religious freedoms, to get up a Media Freedom Act to enshrine media freedom, to get up a, to clarify free speech freedoms in Australia. And you'll remember there was a furious argument about 18C, um, was it 2018, um, which was, which was important. So my, this is a personal view only. Um, is that it's easier to do it step by step rather than to try and package it all into one. All right, and with that, we'll kind of wrap up the interview. Um, just checking, obviously, following the Medium Freedoms Act, as you said, the journalist, the Alliance of Journalist Freedoms um, was kind of have, has, has brought this idea out and about. Should we be hooking in with you guys? Who should we be listening to try, to try and kind of push this or build public support and awareness? Well, this, the, the Right to Know Coalition is really important. That's mm-hmm. made up of... Uh, publishers and the difficulty with that is that politicians tend to see publishers as um, less than independent mm. the alliance for journalist freedom is completely independent we're just um, a coalition of journalists media lawyers new media meaning google and facebook um, uh, politicians academics and other people who have a significant uh, a significant expertise in this area. So if people want to follow it, they can hop on the website, uh, www.journalistfreedom.com um, is one place, and or just keep an eye on the media because I think most people will know if they follow the media that Peter Grester, our spokesperson, has a pretty high profile now, mm. and we are regularly in the media, and we will continue to be. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Peter, for coming on. Terrific. A pleasure. Thank you for talking to me. 
Wonderful. Thank you. And you can read the article that led us to this interview at The Conversation. It's with the title, Australia Needs a Media Freedom Act, Here's How It Would Work, by Rebecca Ananian-Welsh. Uh, that is at The Conversation, and it was quite fantastic. An additional point I just want to raise as well, um, researching the story, um, Rebecca actually pointed out within her article that we now have 82 and counting national security laws enacted since uh, September 11, 2001. I know we cover a lot of them on the show, but I just thought 82 is a really good number that you can kind of stick to to kind of am showing that we are... It's a lot of laws. We are losing our freedoms. It's, yeah. it's, it's happening. It's tangible. 82 is a lot of numbers. And uh, Rebecca was pointing out it's one of the highest security numbers in um, kind of the... Western nations. So mm. Australia's leading the way in heightened security laws, uh, not just with press freedoms, but just generally. All right, we're just going to chuck to a song called I Owe You Nothing, and we'll come back in with an interview, our last interview.
And you're listening to 3CR. That was Sanabo Say, I Owe You Nothing, which is a banger. We now have our next interview. This is um, talking about the block. So it's called New Lock-On Laws, and this is concluding in October. The Queensland government passed new legislation aimed at removing climate activist demonstrations' um, ability to attach themselves with devices to parts of the CBD. So in this conversation, we're talking about activists that chain themselves to barrels or sit on tripods or in some way affix themselves to infrastructure. Under this legislation, uh, possessing a locking device could attract a jail term of up to two years or a fine of $6,000. So this is significant. And the Human Rights Law Centre has named it an infringement on Queenslanders' rights to freedom of expression, association and assembly. Now, we have Andy from FLAC, Frontline Action on Coal, an environmental activist group, to tell us a bit more. Good morning, Andy. Good morning. Good morning. So the government has passed uh, these new laws under the justification that lock-on devices are dangerous um, to those using them, to the general public and emergency personnel. I was wondering if we could just get you to kind of come on the show and break down the veracity of that justification. Yeah, well, I'm not sure how familiar many of the 3CR listeners are with lock-on devices, but they've certainly been used for a long time in environmental campaigns in Australia from... uh, Daintree Rainforest to Southwest Australia and um, and Tasmania, mm-hmm. uh, East Gippsland. So they have a, a long history and they basically make you harder to remove from immobilizing a machine. You can uh, stick your arms in a, a device and put it around a machine and uh, your descent then needs to be removed by police with power tools generally. And so they were developed as a way of Yes, slowing down work, making it harder to remove, and in a way to uh, break up the kind of wrestling that can happen with police when a blockade is just people linking arms. And so that's the history of these devices. Of course, Mm -hmm. there's a long history of civil disobedience in Australia for the environment and other causes. And it's over 30 years these devices have been used and there just isn't a history of people being injured, uh, police being injured by these devices or uh, booby traps being planted in them as Anastasia Palaszczuk claimed. Um, she came out and very dramatically stated that she'd been shown photos of these devices laced with dangerous traps but then when it came down to it, when prompted, couldn't produce any evidence for it. And so she's held on to that line saying that the laws are all about protecting the safety of police and uh, emergency services. Uh, But in our view, the laws are very much about stopping dissent and stopping people effectively being able to protest against our climate crisis. Mm. It's kind of double-checking this. This this is a part of the peaceful civil disobedience movement, isn't it? Could you kind of give us a little bit of an image of what's been happening up in Queensland with lock-on devices? Has it been increasingly used recently? Yeah, there's been a lot of civil disobedience in Queensland over the last couple of years. I guess it is the stage for the most symbolic um, climate issue in Australia, which is Adani's mm. proposed Carmichael mine up in central Queensland. And so for that reason, it's really become the, the stage of a lot of Australia's uh, climate tensions. Mm. And we've seen consistently there's been over 100 arrests up here in central Queensland, close to where the mine is being built, and many more in Brisbane and other parts of the state as well. And this year as well, of course, there's been the rise of Extinction Rebellion, and so we've seen mass uh, peaceful civil disobedience 
from them as well. And so it's become a, a noteworthy issue in Queensland media up here and certainly something that Anastasia Palaszczuk and her government thought they needed to address. The Dangerous Attachment Devices Bill actually passed in Parliament with a majority of 86 votes to one. A piece of legislation had been fast-tracked through the state government. Now, your organisation have been highlighting some of the malpractice that's been involved in getting this bill through, kind of really, as I said, fast-tracking the process. Could you kind of expand on that for us? Yeah, so besides, I mean, the, the real issue with these laws and the process, the parliamentary process, was the fact that they were just based on a lie, that mm-hmm. our Premier quite openly misled Parliament and the public and if that wasn't the case she would have by now produced evidence to back up the claims that she made. So I mean as a grounds of democracy we're on pretty shaky ground to begin with Mm. but then also the normal procedure of Parliament and in Queensland here we only have one House of Parliament so it's not quite the House of Reps and Senate that it often is but there's a separate committee and submissions and things like that all of that was fast-tracked in a response to the supposed emergency of these non-existent dangerous devices. And so um, that yeah, submission process was rushed through and in the end uh, we have a, a very hastily drafted legislation that didn't, doesn't take into account very well the, the rights to protest Discussing kind of also just that that bill process, um, there were some rather extreme amendments proposed by the LNP, um, which were thankfully rejected. Could you kind of give us an idea of what what those suggested amendments were and how that would have taken the bill further? Yeah, up in Queensland we have um, quite a history of politicians who would use legislation to stop political protest. And so for 20 years, Queensland had a conservative premier, Joe Bjorki-Peterson, who was part of his politics, he uh, banned street marches at one point. Any gathering of three or more people in the city required a permit, and he famously said that for protest marches, permits would be granted over his dead body. So that's the recent history in Queensland. That was in the late 70s. And um, Labor, I guess, has built a lot of its reputation on being the party that produced opposition to uh, Joe Bjorki-Peterson. So in the process of these laws, we saw the Liberal Party, um, led by Deb Frecklington up here, propose amendments that were very similar to Joe Bjorki-Peterson's laws. Mm. um, Any group of three people that uh, somebody might reasonably suspect were intending to block a road um, Mm. could be uh, arrested, and that offence would have a a maximum penalty of two years prison, and if somebody was arrested twice on that offence, then they would have a minimum sentence of seven days prison. And so we're going beyond clamping down protests there to the Liberal Party talking about, I guess, um, bypassing the separation of powers in the Australian Constitution to make themselves judge and jury as well as the drafters of laws. And so that is um, something that is... On the table in Parliament now, the Liberal Party have said that and there'll be an election next year where they'll run for government. And I think this is what happens when we have politicians rather than talking about how do we tackle the climate crisis that we're in in a way that's fair, in a way that's environmentally sustainable. Instead, you go about demonising people who are trying to do the right thing. That's the kind of uh, possibilities that you open up is the continued uh, 
demonization of protesters and I uh, hope the Labor Party, um, on seeing those amendments, thinks long and hard about how they want to face the climate breakdown because when it comes down to it, we need public political participation, we need civil disobedience and we need it, um, an ability for everyday people to force the government to act. You're right. This is a terrifying kind of development in this anti-protester sentiment that's growing around the country, especially it's been seen culturally and politically in Queensland. I mean, the fallout of the election and, as you said, these political decisions. I guess my last question to kind of wrap this all up with is what does this new law mean for you guys as activists up there? What, what, what's your next plans? What the next, what's the next step? Um, it won't stop us doing civil disobedience, that's mm-hmm. for sure. We... Um, Australia has a, a long and proud history of civil disobedience to protect our environment and progress our society, and that requires people challenging the norms of our society and people risking the pe- legal penalties that come with that. And so uh, people of conscience won't be stopped from taking the action that we need to protect our climate. Um, and so up here, where I'm up near the Adani Mine in central Queensland, we'll continue doing it, and I'm sure people around the state will as well. Mm. I think um, it is a worry, though. Any laws restricting protest are a worry because, um, in the end, protest is one of the, the weapons that we have to, to maintain democracy, and politicians need to acknowledge that, that there's not this stable democracy that um, always looks after the best interests. It's that... Um, our democracy is continually under, under attack from the vested interests of the rich, of mining industries, mm. and we need any mechanism we can to empower everyday people. And so um, we'll be continuing to do that, and I encourage people everywhere to uh, not be forced back or not be afraid of uh, repressive laws mm. because in the end we need people with courage and creativity um, to make this world a better place. Absolutely. And it's wonderful to talk to you today, Andy, as well, to kind of share the stories that are happening from across our country because you're right, we're seeing this around the country. It's, it's a united kind of fight for climate justice. Um, so it's, it's great to get what's happening up in Queensland and kind of connect up the dots. Yeah, and it's so great uh, seeing people around the country taking action. In Melbourne, there was the IMARC process last week and we've seen protests all over this country and... Uh, let's face it, this is what we need. Um, we have a government that's unwilling or unable to act, hands tied by their attachment to the mining industry, and so um, the people getting active is right now what we need. Thanks for joining us, Andy. Thanks for having me. And just following up with that, there will be, uh, for Melbourne, there will be a Speak Out, Defend the Right to Protest Climate Justice Now uh, rally happening on November the 8th. I've just laughed because Will has just shown me that that was exactly what he was about to announce. (laughs) Um, But that will be happening at the Burke Street Mall Mall in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Uh, It's at 5.30. So, yeah, this is Friday. And what strikes me about this is coming out of IMARC and the media coverage last week was the fact that, you know, Channel 9 for example, was holding a poll, should Victoria introduce permits for protesting, which Andy referenced in that interview, which is a terrifying concept because it's like if you ha- introduce a permit system, well, you, you have the right to be denied and that can be exploited across borders. So this Friday there will be a protest kind of coming up, yeah, protesting that, mm-hmm. and there will be 
stuff happening around climate action throughout November, actually. So it's it's good to keep your eye on the ball with mm, that. That's right. That's 5.30 this Friday at Burke Street Mall in the city. Hmm. Um, I, I do have another um, announcement to make um, in terms of something that's happening. Uh, this is an action um, in support of activists in Brazil. Um, a little while ago, you may remember that we had an interview with... Uh, Fernanda Santos, who is a, um, a feminist socialist um, who is quite active in Australia and also in Brazil. Uh, we talked about the, the murder of Marielle Franco, who was a, um, a radical left um, queer uh, feminist counsellor in Rio de Janeiro, who was assassinated uh, a couple of years ago by, um, suspected by right-wing um, paramilitaries. And... Uh, People are now calling out for a final answer to um, what has been a very long investigation and often stalled investigation, it seems, by the highest um, powers in Brazil. And so people are coming out in support of um, support of uh, the United Fronts in Brazil who are calling for, for answers. Um, and so if you want to lend your support to activists in Brazil um, fighting for an answer to who killed Marielle Frank, Franco, then... Um, Head to um, head to the State Library of Victoria tonight. Um, so it's going to be at 6 p.m. tonight, State Library of Victoria. Turn up and show your support. Um, and yeah, uh, I thought I might also make another announcement. Um, this is something uh, a community organisation that we should all get behind here mm-hmm. in Fitzroy. If you value the community here in Fitzroy, um, the Fitzroy Learning Network um, is a not-for-profit organisation. They deliver English language courses, um, accredited and non-accredited for people from non-English speaking backgrounds. Um, and they've got all of these opportunities for people who want to develop their written or spoken sp- skills in English and they take enrolments. They're actually taking enrolments right now for term four, but you can enroll anytime, um, at fln.org.au. And why am I telling you this? Because it's a super valuable organization for the Fitzroy area. It's kind of funk. Heaps of people, pe- uh, heaps of people who, um, have recently settled in so-called Australia from, Across the world, who um, who need English um, in in their daily lives here um, in Australia because of our inflexible bureaucracy, lack of social um, infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, so, if you want to support the Fitzroy Learning Network, um, and they've been in Fitzroy for thirty years, they are currently looking for donations to assist in updating their IT equipment and to improve the quality of their training courses and community projects. Um, and so, if you want to chuck a couple of dollars to the Fitzroy Learning Network. Now's the time. Um, visit fln.org.au. That's fln.org.au. And that's F for Fitzroy, Fitzroy Learning Network. Um, so, yeah. Wonderful. Well, we're going to chuck to Yara Bravo's um, song, Freedom Fighter. Now, warning, there are a few explicits in this song. Mm. It's still a funky song. Yes. Um, and after it, we'll be right back to kind of wrap up the show, give you some weather, and yeah.
listening to 3CR. As I said before, that was Yara Bravo, Freedom Fighters. And we're coming to the kind of conclusion of our show. So before we do that, Will, do we have the weather? Yes, we do have the weather. Today we'll be a, see a top of 23 shower or two becoming windy. What does that mean? It's going to be partly cloudy with a high chance of showers over the eastern suburbs, medium chance elsewhere. Uh, medium is like a 60%, 60% chance, but you mm. know, if it's raining, it's 100% raining. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> Nice. Anyway, um, the chance of a thunderstorm during this afternoon and early evening. Winds will be north to northwesterly, 20 to 30 kilometers an hour, turning westerly, 30 to 45 k's in the early afternoon. So it will get a bit gusty. Um, right. And that is what we're looking forward to today. Bring your umbrella, Ooh. your coat, um, a hat with little strings so you can tie it down. Um, I brought none of those things. No, no. 
<laughs> yeah, I've got a nice umbrella, though. It's, it's quite low profile, so the wind isn't too bad on it. Good choice, good mm-hmm. choice. Um, and we did mention we were going to kind of mention MALS, but we haven't, yes. we've run out of time. The Melbourne so. Activist Legal Support. So what I'm going to do instead is we're going to do a very brief segment where we suggest things you can listen to on 3CR before we wrap up the show. Ah. So, um, Completada Bailable, Completada as in C-O-M-P-L-E-T-A-D-A, Bailable, um, which is Spanish for danceable, I think, B-A-I-L-A-B-L-E, is a show on 3CR, 6.30pm on Wednesdays. You can look them up. So if you can't remember the name of the show, just remember it's 6.30pm Wednesdays on 3CR. Um, and they had that great interview that we were going to play um, with Sophie from the Melbourne Activist Legal Support Network. Mm. Um, Lois, anything, any recommendations Yeah, I've been listening to a Friday rave, um, which is great (laughs) for entertaining and informed commentary. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you happen to be driving home from work on a Friday afternoon at 5 o'clock, definitely tune in to 855. I'm sure you won't regret it. Absolutely. And I would suggest um, the Unravel True Crime, actually by the ABC, its first season is around um, the death of a young Indigenous boy back in the 1980s. Mm. Um, I leave it from there for people who are interested to find out more, but it's quite um, it's quite interesting in breaking down the story and the systemic racism, racism that goes into building that story, mm. um, as well as the family's fight for justice. Okay, wrapping up the show, um, we last spoke to Andy from FLAC, which is Frontline Action Against Coal, up in Queensland about some pretty terrifying new uh, protesting laws. And then at uh, 7.45, we also talked to Peter from the Alliance of Journalistic, Journalists' Freedoms, also about the erosion of um, press freedoms and kind of laws around that. So, yeah, a bit of terrifying stuff. At 7.30, we had a chat to playwright Jamaica Zanetti about her play Thigh Gap, which is on now at the Mama. And sounds awesome. And at the top of the show, we spoke to Ed from the Peel Street Festival. Peel Street Festival is happening this Saturday from 12, uh, 12 p.m. until 1 a.m. the next day. Fantastic. And with that, uh, we thank Earth Matters from before us. And uh, next up is Stick Together. Woo! Three CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's radical independent bookseller and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. Or check them out at nibs.org.au to find more information about upcoming discussions and events.